0: welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rice, and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to explore the terrifying account of an evil spirit which was terrorising a Welsh farm to such an extent that it is said to have destroyed a building this isn't your typical poltergeist throwing stones about the place this one is blamed with destroying a building and what i particularly like about this tale is that on the one hand it is a supposedly real life ghost story it was reported as being true with many witnesses but on the other hand There is a local folktale attached to the property which may or may not help explain the strange supernatural events which were taking place. This is very much a ghost story of two halves. Now, the facts of this case, the details of what took place were recorded, was saved for prosperity by Edmund Jones. The Reverend Edmund Jones, who is something of a regular on this podcast. I've mentioned some of his other accounts before, and I won't repeat his whole history now, but just very quickly to get everyone up to speed. The Reverend Edmund Jones was indeed a reverend. He was a man of the cloth. And he is credited with, or I certainly credit him, with putting together the first collection of supposedly real-life ghost stories in Wales. He was writing in the 1700s, and during that time, he gathered these tales from all over the country and put them together into these wonderful tomes, which centuries later are still proving to be an invaluable source for my research and, of course, for my podcast. And this particular case takes place in what is modern-day Powys, and not too far from the border with England, in the parish of Llan And it was in this parish that, to quote, a strange thing came to pass. A strange thing, and it was a strange thing indeed now to begin at the beginning the year is 1737 and we are in the house of edward roberts and it was while one of his servants was threshing which means he was busy doing his farm work he was threshing the grain but it was as he was threshing that the thresher the thresher was taken out of his hand And thrown upon the hayloft. And we are told to begin with, he minded it not much. He didn't mind that inconvenience, but having been taken out of his hand three or four times gave him a concern. Now, I'd imagine most of us would have been concerned on the first. Attempt. The first time an invisible force flung something out of our hand, we would have been concerned. But after three or four times, he reached the point where he was so concerned, he went into the house to tell somebody about it. Now, his boss, Edward Roberts, was not at home at the time, but his wife and the maid were there. And they made light of it. They clearly didn't really believe him, but decided to to go along with it. And Merrily said they would come with him to keep him from the spirit. These two brave women would come and protect that poor farmhand from the spirit. And so the three of them went from the house back to the barn where he could carry on with his threshing. And the women were there to knit and wind yarn. But they were not there long before it started again. And this time, it didn't only target the man. The yarn that was in the hands of the women was also ripped from their hands by an invisible force and, to quote, tumbled about in their sight. So they could see these objects, these balls of yarn, these tools taken from their hands and then tumbling about in front of them and as a result they went away more sober than they came there and by sober he means more serious of course not the opposite of drunk but they were much more sober they were no longer pulling the man's leg about it when they left and they made sure They shut the barn door behind them after taking all they could stand of this invisible force. And this is one element of this story that I really like, because in a lot of these old poltergeist, supposed poltergeist tales, and in many modern accounts, the objects being thrown are often being thrown from... Outside of the scene, as it were, it's stones, and we we will come to stones later, but it's stones being thrown from the roof, say, being thrown out of sight. And they could, in theory, be thrown by humans. Human agency could be at work. But in this case, if we believe what the people are telling us, in this case, the objects are being taken out of the grasps of the witnesses themselves, and then seemingly continue to tumble about the place of their own accord afterwards. And of course, in this case, there were three separate witnesses. Now, this doesn't totally rule out fraud or anything, but I do think the more independent witnesses you have, then the more credibility it might lend to a tale of this kind. But anyway, back to the tale, and the three of them, now totally sober as mentioned, closed the door of the barn, and they went back to the house. And if they weren't entirely sober at this point, they were soon to be incredibly sober because things were going to escalate massively. And to quote Jones, who has a theory on what is about to happen, and also just because I love his use of language, but Jones does say that it is not wisdom, but folly to make sport of such things it is not wisdom but folly to make fun of poltergeist activity for the agency and the apparition of spirits whether good or bad if men were wise enough to consider is generally very significant and of serious consequences as it were or to put it another way if you make fun of these ghosts you are going to regret it and regret it they did because to quote jones again for presently after they could see the dishes on the shelf move backwards and some things also thrown about and they could see them move to and fro so now back inside the house they can see things being shaken about and as a result we are told most of the Earthen vessels were broke, especially in the night. And they had great vexations and the pewter dishes much damaged. So it sounds a bit like all hell is breaking loose. There is much damage. There is much breaking. Things are being destroyed. And then Jones tells us that things were so thrown in the night that next morning... They could scarce tread upon some wrecks upon the ground. So there was so much being smashed up in this house that it was literally covering the floors. It was more difficult to not step on a broken piece of homeware than it was to step on something. Now, with all of this activity going on, all of this smashing and breaking and throwing... It was hardly surprising when word got out, word spread around the local area that things were not quite right at this property. And before long, the neighbours were visiting. They were offering them kindness. Maybe they were being a little bit nosy as well, but they were certainly offering them kindness. And it wasn't just the local community. Word spread even further to neighbouring towns and villages, like as far away as Knighton, we are told. And one came from thence who was confident they could rid them of this evil spirit, as they assumed it to be, this evil spirit, by reading to them from the good book, by reading from the Bible, they could banish whatever was bothering them. But the poltergeist or poltergeists, true to form when he attempted to read from the holy book it played its usual tricks because that book was thrown out of his hands and up the stairs the bible was taken out of his hands as he attempted to read it and flung up the stairs and this now adds to our growing list of of independent witnesses we've got the three from the barn now we've got at least four people now we've got this holy man as well and i am assuming he was not there alone i am assuming there were other people watching this poltergeist activity which instead of throwing objects at people seem to prefer taking them off them and throwing them away from people but as if on cue the poltergeist poltergeists decides it also wants to do that as well it can throw things at people if it so desires and with that those inside the house found that stones were cast amongst them stones were cast amongst them and upon them so they weren't only being targeted with stones they were actually being hit they were being struck by these weapons but the good news the good news for them is that they were not much hurt by them, though they were often hit by them. So it sounds like the, the poltergeist is a pretty good aim, but doesn't have much power, doesn't have much strength behind the Throwing of the projectile. They'd make a rubbish bowler in cricket or or pitcher in baseball for my international listeners. But it wasn't just stones that were thrown, lightly thrown at them, and among them, some iron was cast among them from the chimney, and they knew not whence it came. Well, it came from the chimney by the sounds of it, but I guess they didn't know how it ended up with the stones and how it was being thrown about them. Now, another interesting aspect about this case is quite how long it dragged on for. This isn't something which just popped up and then disappeared back into thin air. It lasted for days, it lasted for weeks, it lasted for months. In fact, we are told it went on for a quarter of a year so we're looking at about three months of this going on three months of this activity seemingly escalating until it reached the point it reached something of a crescendo a terrible crescendo when the house took fire about the door the house took fire the house is ablaze and yes we can laugh and joke maybe at some of the elements of some of these stories but if this is being reported as fact if this is being reported as true well regardless of whether or not it's evil spirits or not causing this the house is on fire and is burning to the ground now, the woman of the house, as she is described, which is presumably Roberts's wife, did the, the sensible thing under the circumstances. She quenched the fire that was around the door. She quenched it with water. But the next day or soon after, the house took fire. Yes, it's happening again, which they attempted to quench once more, but attempted in vain. Sadly, the same approach of quenching it was not going to work a second time. This fire was bigger, it was more ferocious. And instead of trying to put out the fire, they instead turned their attention to saving as much as they could. And we are told they saved most of the furniture, but the house itself was burnt to the ground, so that nothing but the walls and the two. Chimney stood as a public spectacle to them that went to and came from knighton market what had once been this grand happy home had in the space of three months been reduced to the local haunted house and then to an empty burnt out husk a macabre tourist attraction something for people to point at as they walked past and recall the eerie tales of what took place within. And on that cheerful note, let us now turn our attention to the other half of this account. Now, I mentioned at the start that this really is a story of two halves. You have the real-life tale, as has just been described, where objects are pulled from people's hands and culminates in this house, being burnt to the ground. But Jones has a theory as to what was going on, and it's connected with something of a legend which is associated with the family involved. And what I'll do next, I'll read to you Jones's theory on what was going on. Listen carefully to see if there's anything amongst it that you think fits, or if you think sounds a little bit ridiculous. But Jones tells us that the apparent cause of the disturbance was this Griffith Meredith and his wife the father and mother of Edward Roberts's wife so Edward Roberts is the man of the house his wife was the lady who was frantically running around throwing water on things just now Griffith Meredith and his wife the father and mother of Edward Roberts's wife were dead and they a son who was the heir of the house, listed himself a soldier and went out of the country. So that means Edward Roberts, who owns that house, his brother-in-law is the one who actually inherited the house, but he was out of the country as a soldier. Now, Roberts and his wife, who were tenants in the house that was burnt, removed into their father's house, and the house being decayed They repaired it and claimed it as thinking it their own and that her brother would never return. But in that year, the brother unexpectedly came home thinking to see his father. He wondered to see the house altered and making inquiry, went to his sister and claimed the house. So to recap quickly, this brother they never thought they'd see again has turned up unexpectedly and he wants the house which is, rightfully, his. Now, his sister refused as far as she was concerned. She had sorted out this house. She was in charge of it. He was not having the house. It was now hers, or certainly hers, and her husband's. But her brother was not totally unreasonable. It was his, but he appreciated, yes, they'd put a lot of time and effort and money into sorting it out. And as such, he said he only desired a share of the house. And this she also refused. He could have none of it. And at last he desired but two guineas for it. So we're not talking about some greedy person who's just turned up to steal his house back. Far from it. He's being quite reasonable. You could imagine this happening nowadays and people would be rushing off to their lawyers and trying to fleece each other for all they're worth. But no, he's not doing that at all. In fact, he's quite willing to accept two guineas. Just give him something in return for this fancy big house she now lives in so he can head off and start a new life somewhere else and still she refuses he is getting nothing and with that penniless off he goes to start a new life in lovely island over the sea to the emerald isle and away from his sister but before going he threatened his sister that she would repent for his ill dealing And she had cause to repent. And so ends Jones's theory as to the cause of the disturbance. And we now have the two halves of the tale. On the one hand, we have this first-hand account of supposed poltergeist activity terrorising a house to such an extent that it burns to the ground. And on the other hand, we also have this legend almost attached to the property, which is very similar to many other tales out there of this long lost brother nobody expects to see ever again. And lo and behold, they turn up and they want what is rightfully theirs. And in conclusion, Jones does say that whatever was going on was clearly the work of some spirit, enough to convince or at least confound an atheist of the being of spirits. So he thinks this evidence was so good, it was so good, it would convince an atheist of the existence of life after death in the Christian sense from Jones's point of view. And I guess that would be the equivalent nowadays of having enough sufficient evidence to convince a really hardcore sceptic or something in fact, the only sticking point, the only part of these tales which has left Jones scratching his head is whether or not the spirit, the identity of this spirit is indeed the brother, but now in the land of spirit, the dead brother has come back to return and haunt his sister or an evil spirit which is causing it. So could her brother have gone off to Ireland... Met his end earlier than he would have liked, and has his spirit come back to torment them? Or was it some other evil spirit? And if it was some other evil spirit, was it employed to work by the brother as revenge upon an unnatural sister? This is the bit he says that cannot be determined, but he thinks the last is more certain so as far as jones is concerned the most likely solution to all of this is that an evil spirit was summoned by her brother possibly from ireland and sent over the waves if indeed he did arrive at his destination maybe he sent it before set in sail when he was still on welsh soil but that is jones's theory you can of course make up your own Own mind. Do you believe the first half? Do you believe the second half? Do you believe all of it? Do you believe none of it? And if so, do you think it was the brother's spirit, an evil spirit, or a combination the brother and an evil spirit together? Maybe it was just a poltergeist who'd been sitting there, minding their own business for years in this lovely gothic wreck, and all of a sudden these people come along, start renovating, start banging away, disturbing the peace, and in the end they say, do you know what, (laughs) I've had enough of this, if they're going to make all this noise, this, this kerfuffle, I am going to join in. Or maybe they just made the whole thing up. Your guess is as good as mine. But as always, if you have any thoughts, any ideas, it's always lovely to hear from people. And if you'd like to get in touch, I'm quite easy to find online. I'm quite easy to find on all of the main social media sites. And as mentioned at the start, this is our latest delve into the works of Edmund Jones, who is something of a regular on this podcast because he is one of my favourites. We last looked at one of his tales on episode 46, if you did want to go and check out the case of The Ghost of the Hanged Lady, and I am sure we will be looking at another of his cases in a month or two. And if you don't want to miss that one or any other upcoming Weird and Wonderful episode, Please consider hitting the subscribe button. All of which just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varjaun am Grandor. I've been Mark Rice. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best, it's the beautiful, it's the only ghosts and folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, your star.